You know, uh, yesterday, like many of you, I was constantly, I don't have regular TV in my house. I just stream stuff on the Internet. And so, I'm, you know, throughout the day, I was streaming uh, the royal wedding between Harry and, and uh, Meghan Markle, the Prince, uh, Prince Harry. It was just fascinating to watch uh, the beauty of the wedding, the pomp and circumstance, and yet nobody does it like the British. No one can create this incredible pageantry and at the same time keep it subdued to the point where it is really extraordinarily beautiful. They just, I, don't, I don't know of anybody that does it. There, there are different countries that do a lot of pageantry and sometimes it's over the top. Sometimes it's under-emphasized, but I don't know. They just seem to be able to do it uh, just right. And uh, anyway, it was, it was really something to watch the beauty. Everybody that was invited was beautiful. And the hats, all the women were wearing, wearing these hats and the men were in these really cool suits. I haven't seen anything like that in my life. They had these stripes going down the front of the, you know, these old-timey tuxedos. They were so cool. And uh, it was really something. And I think it would be a very interesting Google search. Maybe some of you will spend your entire afternoon doing this. Uh, and I hope you will. Uh, spend an inordinate and unusual amount of time on this. No, you can't say anything in the certain... No, 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 keep quiet. All right. Um, Anyway, an interesting Google search would be to find out how many people actually got invitations to this wedding, because it was fairly limited compared to other royal weddings. How many people got invitations that didn't go? I know there were people that got invitations that couldn't go, uh, the, the father of the bride couldn't be there. He was sick. He had a heart attack. Uh, finding out he was getting married into the royal family <laughs> almost killed him. <laughs> Think about this. Who, who said, who got the invitation and said, eh, I don't think I'll go. Unbelievable, right? I mean, I, I was waiting for mine. They didn't send it to me. And the psalm we're going to look at this morning is a summons to something that is beyond anything the royal family could have put or anybody on earth could have put it. It is a summons not to come see the king and the queen or the princes or the royalty or the American uh, princes and royalty, the uh, A-list actors and, and uh, media people. No, it wasn't a call to that. It's a call to come and be in the presence of Almighty God for a joyous exuberant, over-the-top, crazy celebration. And that's the psalm we're going to look at. So I invite you to open to Psalm 100. It's uh, very familiar. And uh, again, as we read this, I hope you'll try to read it with fresh eyes and, uh, and, and pay attention to what is being said in this psalm. It is just magnificent. So let's read Psalm 100. And... Uh, it's printed in your bulletin. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you're welcome to read it from that translation in there. It's the same one I'll be reading from this morning. Now hear God's Word. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. And we are His. We are His people. And the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. This is God's Word. This is a summons into God's presence to see, to actually look at, and participate in the, the, the beauty of His holiness. And, and what I'm going to suggest, it is also an act of sanity. In an insane and ugly world, you see juxtaposed to the beauty of the royal wedding is the horrific things that are happening in the Middle East and in North Africa and in other parts of our globe where there is incredible, horrific ugliness and insanity. And we live in that kind of a world, folks, where you can go to your news feed on your phone and flip and see one article right on, on the beauty of this wedding and everybody there was beautiful and everybody was decked out to the nines and then all you have to do is go down one and you see the horrific poverty and desperation of people on both sides of a fence. Both Jews and Palestinians murdering one another. And I warn you not to take sides because they're both wrong. Only the God of the Bible is just and righteous as this psalm tells us. Only He is faithful and only He is true. And so we're going to look this morning, I'll give you a little outline just to help organize things for you. We're going to look at actions that lead to sanity. We're going to look at a relationship that produces sanity. And finally, we're going to look at the sane man. Perhaps the only sane man who ever lived. So, let's take a look at this. The actions that lead to sanity, the relationship that produces sanity, and the sane man. Uh, Old Testament theologian Walter Brueggemann in his commentary about Psalm 100 said this. Listen. Fantastic, the insight. Our world is at the edge of insanity and we with it. Inhumaneness is developed as a scientific enterprise. Greed is celebrated as economic advance. Power runs unbridled to destructiveness. In a world like this, our psalm, Psalm 100, is an act of sanity. Whereby, like the demoniac of Gadara, who Jesus encountered and brought back to his right mind, like the demoniac of Gadara, we may be reclothed and in our right minds. Life, listen, life 
is no longer self-grounded without thanks, but rooted in thanks. So, we're going to look at these three things. Action that leads to sanity. Relationship that produces it. And the sane man. The structure and content of this psalm is, is really magnificent. It is a piece of work. Beautiful art and literature. Psalm 100. Just five short verses. But the way the psalmist crafts it, it was nothing less than inspired by the Holy Spirit, but certainly magnificent in human standards as well. These five verses, in your page, you may see on your, if you have your Bible, we didn't do it in the bulletin for space, but in your Bible, it's broken down by stanzas. And you see, verse 1 and 2 form a, a, a block. Then verse 3 stands alone. It's the central focus. And then 4 and 5 are on the other side. This is called, uh, in uh, literary uh, Hebrew, it's called a chiasm. It's a diagrammical way of looking at something on a page. You see, people, uh, they didn't have books like this. They had scrolls. When they would open the scroll, these scrolls, there were things that were meant to catch your eye and draw you in. And Psalm 100 is like that. Verses 1 and 2 and 5 and 6 frame verse 3. So verse 3 is the central focus of the psalm. And so the structure is very important, but also the content. What is he saying in these words? So look first of all at verses 1 and 2. And I'll just I'll give it to you very quickly. In verse 1 and 2, he gives us three commands. So you can see the structure. Now here's the comment. Verses 1 and 2, three commands. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. See, he's calling the whole earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. In other words, there's a posture of heart that goes along with this joyfulness that we're to come into uh, God's presence with. He says, come in with singing. And then he gives the focal point. He frames on the other side with verse 4. Look at this verse 4. Let's jump there quick uh, to help you see the structure. There's three commands in verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We'll look at these in detail in a moment. And in the the middle is verse 3. Know that the Lord is good. He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. And then underneath it all is this magnificent statement like a foundation to the whole of who God is. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love, or in Hebrew He says His chesed, Amazing word, I'll go over that in a moment. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. 
What are the actions that lead to sanity? Look at verses 1 and 2 and verse 4. Make a joyful noise. Now what he's talking about is not a clamor or a racket, just like getting a bunch of you know, coffee cans or trash can lids, if they're not plastic, or if they're the old you know, uh, metal kind, and just banging and carrying on. No, he's saying do what we did this morning. Make a call to worship. Call the world to worship. And then do it in song. Do it in singing. Do it with noise. Hearing. Speaking. Out loud. The call to worship. The prayers uh, that, that Ugo offered this morning. The magnificent music we have from our ensemble. And they can take many different forms. It could, be, it could be something simple. There are churches even in our own tradition. All they do is sing psalms. All they do is sing sometimes with no music. I was ordained in a, in a denomination, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, which has a very long and high tradition of singing from the Psalter, a cappella, and I've been in those meetings at our General Synod. I went three years and I was blown away by the beauty of it. And I've also been in churches like ours, which has exemplary and beautiful music. I've been in Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Church, raised in the Eastern Orthodox Church, and you hear the beauty, the chanting, the liturgy. Or you can go to some, even some of the contemporary churches. Granted, they could probably do without the fog machines. I don't know about that. But anyway, we don't want to be judgmental. But you know, they're, they're jamming up there and rocking. and it, it can be great. God loves all kinds of music. You know, if we transported ourselves back into David's day and actually watched them worship and heard their songs, I can promise you there's probably not a Presbyterian alive that would have liked it. They would have been scandalized. Oh my gosh, they're using tambourines. And they're jumping around. Did they need to hold still? You ever seen a Presbyterian dance? No, they do. This is how they dance. You have to watch my feet and my hand. Now that's Presbyterian dancing, baby. All right. It's, not a, it's, a, it's a shout of triumph. It's glory. It's lifting our hands. It's, it's exuberance. It's being glad to be in God's presence. Like the, I didn't see anybody frowning yesterday at the wedding. It was wonderful. Everybody's smiling. Everyone was happy. Of course they're happy. They got invited to the royal wedding. All the earth. You know, we have a philosophy of worship in our church. And, and we don't talk about this much, but... These are part of our core values of our church. You can see them, they're online. We have them published, you can look at them. But part of our philosophy of worship, for Christ the King, now this isn't true of every church, but it is for us, that the audience to whom we all gather on Sunday morning is who? It's Almighty God. We are here to join our voices and to worship Him in the beauty of holiness in our particular way and style. Alright? But, another part of that philosophy of worship is, although God is the audience, all humanity have been invited. Every kind of person, rich, poor, 
black, white, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, like me. Whatever your particular composition is, your ancestry DNA, whatever it is, your 23 and me, whatever that is, all have been invited. And not just all people. He's saying the whole earth. Trees are invited. Rocks are invited. Mountains and rivers and streams. He's saying, I made this and all of it is for me. And I'm inviting it all to come and worship me. This is very, very exciting. And in that group, all, we're going to see some people who are unchurched. Church is not just for believers. And I know some of you may disagree, and that's fine. We can argue about it. But when we do, understand that you are wrong and I am right. No, it's, it's because the Bible is right, folks. The Bible says all people have been invited. All. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Very familiar, you all will know this passage. If a church assembles and all speak with tongues and ungifted or unbelievers, Paul assumed they would be there, ungifted or unbelievers entered, won't they say that you're mad? You see, if they come into the assembly, he's expecting unchurched and unbelievers to be there. And he's saying if they come in, they hear you all speaking in a language they don't understand, won't they think you're crazy? But, now listen to what he says. If all prophesy, and what he's saying there by prophecy is not just predicting the future like somebody's up there in some ecstatic trance. He's talking about forthtelling, explaining the Word of God to people, telling them what, what the Bible has to say to, to the world in general and to his people in particular. This is what he's getting at. He said, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever ungifted enters, he's convinced, he can see, can make sense, he can rationally get his head around what you're saying. He'll be called to account. In other words, his sins may actually get revealed and he may have conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the secrets of his heart will be disclosed. Look at what Paul says. He will fall on his face and worship, declaring God is certainly among you. Yeah, I'd love to see that in our church one. I'd love to see somebody walk in and actually fall on their face. Not just simply sit in the chair and fall asleep but actually fall down and worship God because they say, this is overwhelming me. Wow. There's also going to be churched people among us. There's going to be people like the prodigal son. They're far from God and they know it. And we want those people here. They've strayed from God. Their life's a mess. I was that person. I strayed from God for 10 years. My life was a wreck. And we came to the church and we didn't dare tell anybody what was going on because they wouldn't have accepted us. And so Mari V and I had to, had to shove it down and stuff it down and, and present this image of that we were okay and we weren't okay. And if you're here today and your life's a mess, you're welcome. Join the, join the club. Join the throng. Nobody in this church that I know of has it all together. I mean, even your pastor, I mean, I'm a mess. And I love my mess because I know I can't fix it. I need Jesus. 
I need, I need my sanity back. And I know I'm not going to find it without Him. And then there's people in church. These are church people. They're like the elder brother. We talked about this months ago and we looked at the prodigal. These are self-righteous. I've got it all together. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Hallelujah. I'm better than I deserved. Y'all use those cliches? Please stop doing that. Yes, everything's wonderful. Well, you're just lying. Come on. Everything's not wonderful. I mean, many, many, many things are wonderful, but not everything is wonderful. Nobody, not everything is wonderful for anyone. Except maybe Queen Elizabeth. I mean, shoot, she's never going to, this woman is going to live forever. Did you see her? Wow. And her husband. Unbelievable. How old are they? 120? And they're, they're with the happiest people there. I go, yeah, me too. Please adopt me. I don't want to be your... I, amazing. No, not everything's right. And then there's church people, and I hope many of you are regular church people. Come to church because this is meaningful. This one hour is good. You come, you hear the Word of God. We sing our songs. We see one another. We hug one another. We love one We serve one another. And then we come to the Holy Table and we take the Holy Sacrament together, acknowledging our corporate need for the body and the blood of Jesus to feed us in our hearts by faith, as John Calvin said. By faith you come. And the Holy Spirit by His dynamic presence makes Christ real to us. And we are actually feeding on the body. and blood of, Not that it changes. It's still bread. It's still wine. But when we take it and we're mixing it with our faith and we're saying, I believe this. That that feeds us, nourishes us, makes us whole. And we're to serve the Lord with gladness, joyful, joyful orientation. This is not just happy, clappy religion. Oh, Jesus, everything's so wonderful. That is not. You can be incredibly broken down because life has just pressed in on you in in who knows how many ways. And yet underneath is a strong, unassailable current of joy that at those moments of despair when life has dropped you down and down and down that you can find the well the inexhaustible well of the joy of our salvation here it is when you die you live Now, I don't know about you, but I want, to, I want to shout hallelujah. Yeah? Let's do it. Presbyterians. Hallelujah! Well, that's pretty good. Not too bad. Think about it. Paul said, None, death or life or principalities or power, nothing can touch me. Okay, I'm going through a bad patch. Yeah, my life is horrible right now. Yes, I got about yes, I lost my job. I got a bad diagnosis. Yes, my marriage is in trouble. Yes, I've got a kid or two or three off the rails. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. But underneath all that is that strong current of joy 
that at the end of the day, God is faithful and that He will not let you go. This psalm is inviting you, it's summoning you and saying, come, be in my presence, experience this. Wow. Who would turn that down? Uh, Google this afternoon. Let's see, who, let's see who actually turned down that invitation to the royal wedding. Come into my presence with singing. These are actions, folks. He's not bad. He is telling us you must take action. You know, there's a lot of things in our lives that are counterintuitive. They're pushing on us. And, you know, we think, I, des- I deserve this. And things are not going this way, so I ought to do this. And I, I think I'll just sit back and be miserable. Well, you know, go ahead and sit back and be miserable. But you also could get up from your misery unless there's some real odd reason why you can't. I'm pretty sure most of you can actually say something. And if you can't say anything, you can think something. You can think about these things. He's saying, come into my presence with singing Enter my gates with thanksgiving and my courts with praise. Give thanks. The late Billy Graham said this. I love this. Billy Graham said, Nothing turns us into bitter, selfish, dissatisfied people more quickly than an ungrateful heart. And nothing will do more to restore contentment and the joy of our salvation and to have a true spirit of thankfulness. Now I know it's become cliched in Christianity to give thanks for all things, but I don't think the Bible says that. I think the Bible says in everything, give thanks. And yeah, things can go bad. Things can go sour. They can go sideways. But if all you do is think about those things, what will happen to you? You will be crushed. But are you telling me as Americans, everybody here drove up in a nice car. I don't care if the car's got bald tires. It's better than everything else everybody's got in the world. Are you telling me that we can't just sit there and for the rest of an hour without even thinking about it, start thanking God for things in our life? Are you telling me that? Think about it. Of course, there's a million things we can think of. Is my marriage in trouble? Yes. But there's help out here. I can find help. I can get a therapist finding. I've got, you know, there's a church full of elders and deacons here that will help you. There's other resources. There's no end to the resources. Go get help. My health is in bad. Go to the doctor. Well, the doctor's told me I'm going to die. Hey, you get to go to heaven. I mean, can you not thank God for anything? Do you see it? Do you see how crazy it is to let the insanity take a hold and lie to you and tell you it's not that way? It's not you're gonna you're failing, you're failing. Listen, I hear it every day. I know what I'm talking about, and so do you. No, no, no. Bless his name. Bless his name. Can you think of one thing with the God that you hear described in this church? I can't speak for other churches, but I know at Christ the King. Do you ever hear anything about this God that would require you to say, do anything but bless His name? 
to speak well of Him in everything He has done for us to the extent that He gave His Son for us. Wow! How could we not bless? Bless means to speak well of Him. How could we not? How could we get bitter and say, oh, well, He didn't do this and He didn't do that? What? What? What didn't He do? Where has He failed you? Well, He didn't give me... And then try to fill in the blank. I'm challenging you. Try! What would you have without Him? The biblical teaching is that we have everything we have. The very life in our breath, the breath in our lungs is from Him. Wow. Action is necessary. We've got to do stuff, folks. And I know we believe in grace, but grace is the very thing that prompts us to bless, to thank, to enter, to sing, to glory in the God that we have. And at the very center of the psalm, the chiastic center, the part that the rabbis wanted when they were writing these things out and putting them all down on paper, the thing they wanted your eye to go to, like, you know, a picture frame. You know, a frame is not what you're supposed to look at. What are you supposed to look at? The picture. And our artists like Dave will tell you that in the picture there should be a central focal point. Is that right, Dave? I mean, there's a focal point. And you're supposed, your eye is supposed to, and everything else is there. To support that beautiful... Your, your eye is supposed to go in and you're supposed to catch the thing. Look at verse 3. Know the Lord. yod heh The God of salvation. The God that appeared to Moses in the bush. He made us. We're His. His people. His sheep. His pasture. This is the central focus, folks, of the whole Bible is about this. The entire Scripture is captured in this. It's profound in this little five verses. Amazing. Charles Spurgeon said, the joyful state... Listen, I love this. you got to love So Who could turn a phrase like Charles Spurgeon? The joyful state of the whole world will arise from the enjoyment of the divine being. He's saying God's going to be better than ice cream. Better than tacos. That's hard to believe. Better than anything you can imagine. Better than the beach. Better than money. Better than fame. Better than approval. Better than power. Better than health. Better, better, better. All better. He's good. He's our God. He made us. We're His. We're His people. The sheep of His pasture. Men have long tried to be happy. Listen to Spurgeon and I'll finish. Men have long tried to be happy without God. They will find at the last their happiness is in God. Enjoyment of God will arise from what? What will enjoyment of God arise from? Him. Plus nothing. C.S. Lewis said, if you get Him, you get everything. If you shoot for anything else, you lose everything. 
He's not saying that all you're going to have is this ball of light up in heaven. No, He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth with glories unspeakable. That we can, we're not going to fly, float around on a cloud, folks. We're going to live real lives. We're going to eat real food. We're going to hug. We're going to know one another. We're going to see beauty and art and music and science and technology that we can't even fathom. And the sane man, look at verse 5. He, all of this, he frames it and then he, he throws it out here and he says, the sane man. In Psalms, he didn't have the insight that we have, but look what he says. The Lord is good. You serve a God who is not capricious. He's not part good, part bad. He's not half good, half bad. He's not schizophrenic. He is good. And that's all He is. Do you hear me? He is good and it's all He is. There is no bad in Him. Ravi Zacharias said that when we define purity, we say something is pure when we've washed it and we've gotten out the impurities. And that's true of everything except when you speak about God. When you're talking about God, He's the definition of purity. It is not with God that He is absent of sin or absence of anything. It's the presence of it. It's the presence of His holiness, not the absence of His sin. It's the presence of His goodness. It's Him Himself. He is pure. He is holy. He is good. And there's no evil in Him. He hates evil. You want to know how bad He hates evil? Look behind me on the wall. That's what He thinks of evil. We don't have all the answers to evil, but we have that. And let me tell you and everybody else in the world, if the cross is not enough to deal with evil, then folks, we're on our own. And there is no answer for evil. No religion, no philosophy has an answer for evil. And we don't necessarily have an answer, a comprehensive answer for evil either. But we have this. And what the cross says to you and me is it's enough. God is good. His steadfast love, His chesed, His faithfulness, His enduring. This this word chesed means an enduring love. A love that you cannot change. It can't get greater and it can't get less. It can't waver. It doesn't go hither. It doesn't go yon. It stays. He has set His love on you folks in a way that is profound. He has said nothing you do, nothing you ever do can separate you from My love. Well, you mean I can murder somebody and He will forgive me? Well, I don't know. He forgave the Apostle Paul. You mean I can commit adultery and He'll forgive me? Well, I don't know. He forgave forgave a Samaritan woman that had been married five times. Was living with the last one. Well, you mean He might forgive anything? Yeah. He just might. 
And if that's true, then you can live every single day of your life free. Not free to sin. That's crazy. What do you think He freed you from? You think He freed you from sin so you can go sin some more? No. He freed you so that you have the ability in your new birth, in your new man to say, no, I'm not going to do it. I won't do anything that will upset my Lord because He's invited me into this glorious unbelievable presence his steadfast love you may change and folks you will look i go up and down and sideways i have days when i don't even know if i believe in god and there are other days that i am i am i know i have no other hope but save in thee you are my hope you're my steadfast love unassailable unimaginable It endures forever in His faithfulness. His faithfulness. His faithfulness. What does His faithfulness say? What does that mean that He's faithful? I've said it to you for 15 years and I'll keep saying it as long as I'm here. Me for you. Me for you. Not you for me. Not you work. You earn You get over here and you do stuff and maybe I'll like you and if it's good enough and there's enough of it. The only religion in the world where the God, the deity, whatever they are, he, she, it, them, whatever's up there that men have created, only the biblical God says, me for you, I will be faithful when you're not. And folks, if that doesn't capture your heart and motivate you to unbelievable obedience... Nothing will. Fear won't do it. Fear won't do it. And where do you find all that goodness? Where do you find all that steadfast love? Where do you find faithfulness incarnate? Where do you find me for you all wrapped up in one person? Where do you find that? You find it in Jesus Christ who received a summons from Almighty God. A body you have prepared for me. And my answer to your summons is lo, I come, O God, to do your will. I heard the summons. And lo, I come to do your will, O God. On the cross, Jesus took our sins, every one, past, present, and future, all of them, everything you've done or will do or might accomplish this afternoon, all of them. And he nailed them to his cross and he said, Till us die. It is finished. It's accomplished. It's done. It's paid. The debt's been paid. His body. His blood. Your invitation, my friends, all of you, and this whole world, the whole world, the whole creation, has received an invitation 
engraved in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, saying, Come into my presence with singing, with joy, with gladness. Look at what I've done. And join me at the wedding, the wedding feast of the Lamb. I hope you'll trust Him, will you? Will you trust Him? Let's pray. Father, uh, your, your gospel and your glory is beyond the wildest dreams of mankind. All the beauty we see or saw yesterday in this wedding, and there was a lot of beautiful things to see, is only a dim reflection of what you have prepared for them that love you. And Father, we do love you. We are so grateful that you first placed your love on us so that we could love you. And I pray that as we come to your holy table today and partake of the sacrament of Holy Communion together, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever, please, Father, feed us in our hearts by faith. Meet us by the power of your Spirit. Help us. Save us. And have mercy on us, O God, according to your grace in Christ, we pray. Amen.